Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to Soul to Soul. Always wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, so today we're going to look at the Jewish calendar and the significance of this time that we're going through right now. Today is the 27th of July, as we know in the Gregorian calendar. According to the Hebrew calendar, today is the 28th day of Tammuz, of the month of Tammuz. So tomorrow is going to be the 29th of Tammuz, and then we have Rosh Chodesh Av, the first day of the month of Av, which is on Friday. So it is a significant period, and uh, we're about almost in the middle of the three weeks, what we call the three weeks of mourning, otherwise known as Bein HaMetzarim, which means between the constraints. And from these three weeks, starting with last Sunday, was the fast of Shiva Asad B'Tamuz, of the 17th of Tammuz, so as mentioned today is 28th of Tammuz, Koyach Tammuz, and Rosh Chodesh Av is coming up. So the three weeks are a significant time within the Jewish calendar. The three weeks are a time of bad muzzle for the Jewish people. As the Mishnah says, Mishnichnas Av Mamatim Basimcha. When the month of Av comes, which is on th- tomorrow night and Friday, so the levels of joy are lowered within the Jewish people, which is actually an interesting diuk. It's a diuk made by an inference of Rav Schwab. Rav Schwab said that we see from the Mishnah that there is always joy in the life of a Jew. It's just there's certain times where there's more joy and certain times when there's less joy. Um, so Av is the month where there's less joy, where the muzzle is not so strong and good for Klai Israel for the Jewish people. And unfortunately, it's been a time throughout our turbulent history where things have not gone well for us. And starting with the 17th of Tammuz, which actually was the day when Moshe Rabbeinu came down and he saw the Jewish people dancing around the eagle, dancing around the golden calf. So that was a day of, uh, of sadness, and it has been throughout history. And the climax of the three weeks is, of course, Tisha B'Av. The ninth of Av. This year, Tisha B'Av is falls. Actually, the ninth of Av is next Shabbos. But since we don't fast on the Shabbos, so the fast of Tisha B'Av will be next Saturday night and next Sunday. So this is a time when we think about the sad parts of our history, and we don't. You know, the Jewish people, as I mentioned, Mamatim Bezimple, we Jews Sajor. We are people that we are a very happy people. Um, and we're very happy people. Why do, are we a happy people? Where does our happiness come from? Our happiness comes from our connection to God. And one finds an amazing thing in life is that the more a person is spiritual and the more a person is connected to their soul and their soul is dominant and powerful in their life, their soul has a voice and their soul connects them to God to eternity in proportion to that power that exists in their life is their happiness. The more spiritual, the more powerful 
the soul is in a person's world, the more happiness that it brings a person. And the opposite is true as well. The less a person is connected to their soul, the less spirituality there is in the person's life, the the more they fixated on the material and on the physical and on the superficialities of the externalities of life, so the less joy there is and the more focus there is on the internal world and on the inner world of a person and the neshama, the e- eternal soul of a person, the more happiness there is in a person's life. So that's why we're always filled with joy. And that's actually something that struck me very powerfully. When I went to learn in Yeshiva, um, I, I was brought up here in South Africa uh, in Johannesburg and had a wonderful life in Johannesburg and I come from a wonderful family, Blia and Hora. I went to Yerushalayim and I saw people, I'd never seen happier people in my life, people that were just so fulfilled and so happy and filled with real simcha. And uh, the reason is because they were connected to God, connected to uh, God's commandments, the mitzvahs, connected to eternity. So although Av and the three weeks are a sad time because um, they're a weak time, they're almost a vulnerability of the Jewish people, our, our Achilles heel, um, so there's less joy than usual, usual. So what is the avoider? What is the work that we, you know, for a Jew, there's always spiritual work to be done. And the calendar give, guides us and is the framework of doing that spiritual work. So what is the spiritual work at this time? So at this time, it's really a time of sadness, a time of mourning, and we mourn the disappointments and we mourn the difficulties that we've been through. Um, so the avoider is, what do we learn from those times? And what is the source of that sadness? Uh, where does that come from? So we're going to discuss that all in a moment. But I'll, I'll first tell you the basic halachic structure of this time, and then we'll go into the deeper understandings and meaning of, of this um, time period of the year. So halachically speaking, it's interesting um, so as we mentioned, it's a time of loss and it's a time of mourning for us, these three weeks, culminating in um, Tisha B'Av. And as we know, the, there's, a, there's a clear framework of mourning within Halacha. Um, if somebody loses a loved one, God forbid, law alone, we shouldn't know such things. So one has the, the uh, first seven days of Shiva, as we know, that the family, the loved ones, so loved ones are the uh, a husband or wife, a mother or father, a brother or sister, or children. Those are the son-daughter. Those are the six immediate relatives for which we would be obligated to sit shiva. So one sits shiva for the first seven days. And after the shiva, so the morning gets less. In other words, the those things that we do for morning become lighter until the shloshim. So for a parent, we, we the 23 days after Shiva, which take us to Shloshim, so then there's less aspects of mourning. And then for all other relatives, it ends at the Shloshim. But for parents, it carries on for Yud Beis Chodesh for the 12 months of mourning. So there's three patterns. There's three phases of mourning. During the three weeks, we also absorb three phases of mourning, but it's in the reverse order. So it doesn't go from Shiva Shloshim to Yud Beis Chodesh, it goes the other way around. So first we start with the kind of mourning for the Yud Beis Chodesh, and then it intensifies like Shloshim, and then it is the most intense on Tisha B'Av itself, which is like Shiva. So therefore, starting 
with um, the uh, beginning of this time of the three weeks. We had Shiva Asabha Tammuz, the 17th of Tammuz, and we started our morning. So at this time now, the, what we're in right now is this first phase of morning, and therefore we don't have any, at this time, we don't have any um, weddings as part of, like you, Beis Chodesh, we know a person who's uh, in mourning for their parents for the first year, they don't go to simchas, they don't go to weddings. So you'll notice there haven't been weddings since last Sunday, and there won't be any until next Sunday. And also during the, the, the first uh, phase of the three weeks, we don't um, cut hair and we don't shave. So I'm sure you've noticed there's many uh, individuals with their beards growing out, looking nice and scruffy. Um, where otherwise they wouldn't be so. Um, that's because of this morning period. And also we don't listen to music. So some allowed to listen to a cappella. So you'll notice uh, Soul to Soul that Craig plays a cappella for us. So that's because we're in the three weeks and we don't listen to music from musical instruments. And many are strict with a cappella also, but some are lenient. So those are the three things. And also there's one more that we're observing now is that we don't buy items of clothing for which we say Shekhiyano. We don't buy anything which we say Shekhiyano. Um, there are many poskim that say you can say Shekhiyano on Shabbos. I actually just got a new suit, Baruch Hashem, for my birthday. And uh, I uh, saved it for, I could only wear it on Shabbos because I could only say Shekhiyano on Shabbos. So those that, those are the, the customs of morning we're observing now. So again, very briefly, no weddings. No cutting and shaving, no music, no shechiyano. From Friday, which is Rosh Chodesh Av, so we move from the phase of Yudbez Chodesh to the phase of um, Shloishim. And there the morning intensifies, and then we peak in uh, with, with Tisha B'Av. So we'll discuss some of that framework of morning um, in a moment when we return. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we find ourselves in the middle of the three-week period, the Ben Amitzarim, which means between the constraints. We actually read three special Haftorahs during these three Shabbases. The second of those will be this Shabbos, and the last one, of course, will be next Shabbos, um, which is the which is just before Tisha B'Av. And so from so we started out with the morning period of the three weeks: no weddings, no music, no cutting and shaving, no shechiyano, unless on Shabbos. And then we move from Friday into what we call the nine days, the nine days of mourning. And the nine days of mourning, the the uh, customs of mourning intensify. Um, as uh, comparable to Shloshim. And so in the nine days, the the things that we don't do, the customs of mourning that we observe is that we don't do, uh, we don't start improvements to our home or to our garden. And um, if we have a contract with a non-Jew who started beforehand, so we can continue it, although our deity would be better to um, delay it until after Tisha B'Av. We also don't do laundry at this time. And we don't wear new or laundered clothing. So we don't wear new clothing in the nine days. We don't wear laundered clothing in the nine days, which is actually an interesting halacha, quite a difficult one to observe. So it doesn't apply to underwear, but it would apply to one's other garments. 
one should only wear garments if they have been worn before or another method that one can fulfill those halachas is put them on the ground and trample on them before you wear them. But one shouldn't wear freshly laundered garments during the nine days apart from on Shabbos. On Shabbos you can. We also don't make or buy new clothes during the nine days from Rosh Chodesh which is on Friday until Tisha B'Av. We also don't eat meat or drink wine at that time apart from on Shabbos. So all of these things apply for apply apart from on Shabbos. So no eating meat and drinking wine. So we'll see that uh, the uh, purchase of fish will increase in the Jewish community uh, next week. And finally, the last um, halacha of the nine days that we observe is that we don't bathe for pleasure. In other words, we can't have a nice, hot, luxurious bath. If we have dirt, for example, if we've worked out or if we got ourselves dirty in some way, so then we can clean off those parts, but we can't have a, a, a luxurious, pleasurable bath um, or shower. It needs to be as short as possible, get off the dirt, and not as hot as usual. It needs to be a little bit cooler than it usually is, preferably cold. But here in South Africa, we're in winter, so it's quite difficult to have a cold bath or shower. Um, although it is ideal, but uh, if it, if you do use hot water, use less than usual. In other words, it shouldn't be as comfortable and as pleasurable as usual. So those are the halachas of the nine days, which begin on Friday, th- which begin on Thursday night and Friday, and they take us to Tisha B'Av. So Tisha B'Av, as we mentioned, it falls on Shabbos, and then the fast is doiche, the fast is pushed off till Sunday. So Tisha B'Av will be next Sunday. And the fast of Tisha B'Av is uh, it's a fast like on Yom Kippur. So all the prohibitions of Yom Kippur will apply to Tisha B'Av as well. Um, so, so for example, there's no eating and drinking, of course, and it's a it's a 24-hour fast. So it's from Motzei Shabbos, from next Saturday night, right the way through until Sunday night. Um, the fast comes in. If you want to know, the fast begins. On Saturday night at 6.08 p.m. And sorry, that's when it ends. The fast begins at 5.41 um, next Saturday, which is the 6th of August. And it comes out in Johannesburg at 6.08 on on Sunday night. So uh, during that time, no eating and drinking, uh, no bathing at all. We don't clean ourselves unless we're dirty in some area. Uh, We can't apply oils. We don't wear leather shoes and no marital relations. So those are just like on Yom Kippur, what, what we call the Chamesh Inuim. The five afflictions apply on Tisha B'Av, and there are further restrictions on Tisha B'Av. We also don't learn the regular Torah. Um, we don't greet people. Some people like that halacha, works for some. Uh, we don't do our regular work. It's on a Sunday, which helps us this year. And we don't sit on a chair until midday. We sit um, on a lower chair like a morning, exactly like a morning. It's got to be a chair that's lower than shlosh tefachim, than 24 centimeters. Um, so those are the halachas of, of, of the three weeks, of the nine days, and then Tisha B'Av, which is the climax, which is like Shiva. And all of the, the halacha, as in, in every area of halacha, the halacha is a framework within which to do the inner work. In other words, we're not supposed to just follow the halacha in a rote way, it doesn't, and it doesn't have any impact on our life, on our inner world, on our um, spiritual journey. It's supposed to actually be the framework and facilitate the inner growth of a human being. So what is some of the inner work we're supposed to be doing at this time? Um, of course, we look to our tradition. 
that explains to us, that guides us. Uh, the Gomorrah Yuma says that so primarily this time is, is, uh, reminds us of the Galus of the exile and of the destruction of the Bata Mikdashos, of the temples. The, the, and both temples were destroyed on Tishabab, which is certainly no coincidence. That could be any day in the year. They're both on the same day because it's a day of vulnerability for Klai Israel, and that vulnerability began when the spies came back and gave a negative report, and the nation listened to the spies, and from that moment, that was on Tisha B'Av, um, in the year 2448. So we therefore no longer, or it's actually year 2449, um, a year after they came out of Mitzrayim, so um, in the Jewish calendar. So therefore, um, we, we look to, we look inwardly to see what is the source of the spiritual downfall of the Jewish people. What brought about, so the Beis HaMikdash represents the connection between the Jewish people and Hashem. The, the, the Sfarim called the Beis HaMikdash the neck of the world. It connects this physical world to the upper worlds, to the eternal world, um, the world of souls, the world that is, a, that is a, a supernatural world, a metaphysical world, beyond the physical. So, um, when the base amygdala is destroyed, it shows that we lose our connection to the higher worlds. We become too involved in the material physical world, and we no longer have that vibrant, direct connection with Hashem and the world of spirituality. What causes that? What was the cause? So the Gemara and Yuma says that Ba'is Rishon Shenitgala Avoinam Nitgala Kitsam, the first base amygdala that the sins were revealed and open and known. So the end of that period of exile, of destruction, was also revealed. What were the sins, the Gemara says, of the Bayes Rishon, of the first Beis Amikdash? First Beis Amikdash, there was Gilo Arayash Fichas Damim Avorazor. Within the Jewish people, there was sexual immorality, there was bloodshed, and there was idol worship. And those um, three very, very powerful transgressions caused the the downfall of the Jewish people and the destruction of Bayes Rishon of the first Beis Amikdash. The second Beis Amikdash, the Gemara says, Shelo nis gale avoinem, lo nis gale kitsam. The second Beis Amikdash, that their sin wasn't openly exposed, so the end wasn't openly exposed. So in other words, the Gemara is telling us that the first Beis Amikdash where the sins were clear and apparent for all to see that they were the community, the Jewish people were involved in sexual immorality, in bloodshed, and in in idol worship. So since they were clear for all to see, they were revealed, exposed sins, so the end was also revealed and exposed. And Hashem said, after 70 years, this exile will end. You'll return back to Eritrean, you rebuild the Beis HaMikdash. But the Gemara says, and by Shani, in the second Beis HaMikdash, where the sin that brought down the destruction, brought the end of the Beis HaMikdash, was not revealed, was not open and evident for all to see. It was an innocent, it was on the inside. So since it was not revealed, so too, law needs Galia Kitsan. So the end of that exile also wasn't revealed. In other words, we weren't told when that exile will end, and we are still in that exile. We are still over 2,000 years later, find ourselves in that exile. We don't have a base amygdash in Yerushalayim, and the exile 
of this destruction of the second base, the Mikdash continues. So what does that mean? Let's try and understand what that means and try and see what, how relevant that is to us. And the great Meshe Chochma, Rav Meir Simcha of Dvinsk, I'm sure everybody's heard of Osameach. Osameach was a commentary of Rav Meir Simcha on the Rambam. He wrote a book on the Rambam, a commentary to the great Mishnah Torah of the Rambam, and he called that the Osameach. That's what he called his, his work. And it became such a well-known, respected uh, sefer and work within Klai Israel, booking within Klai Israel, that, and it's very common that great rabbis, they were referred to by the name of their work, of their great work. So the magnus opus of Rav Meir Simcha was the Osameach, and he therefore became known as the Osameach. In fact, he never had any children, and the, the founders of Osameach Yeshiva in Yerushalayim, Rabbi Shiller and Rabbi Weinbach, I, I was a student in Osameach Yeshiva in Yerushalayim, so that's how I know this, um, they said that uh, uh, the Rav Masimcha never had any children, so all the students of the yeshiva will be his children, all those that come and learn Torah. And it was uh, one of the first yeshivas that was dedicated towards Balei Tshuva. It was the yeshiva that was set up for those that were not brought up in a religious environment and didn't have a religious education and had returned later on in life to observance, to Yiddishkeit, to Torah, and uh, the shiva was geared, was set up for those individuals, which is actually quite a chiddush. It was uh, opened up in the 80s, and uh, I think the late 70s, early 80s, and there was nothing like it in the world before. But they chose the name of the yeshiva because they said that um, all their Talmudian would be the children of Rav Meir So his classic work on the Rambam is called Osameach. He also wrote a great work on the Torah itself, a commentary on the Torah, which, is called, which he called Meshech Chochmah. And in the Meshachachma, he explains this Gemara. He quotes the Yerushalmi, Yerushalmi Shabbos, if I'm not mistaken. And he says in that Gemara, um, the, the Yerushalmi quotes a Pasuk from Yeshaya, from Sefer Yeshaya, from Isaiah the prophet. It's Perik Aleph, Pasuk Yudches. Yeshaya says, Yu chata'echem kashanim, kashileg yalbinu. If your sins are like shanim, which is like dyed, is, it's a material that's dyed crimson color. So then Hashem says, even though your sins are red like crimson, I will make them white like snow, like beautiful pure white snow. That's what I'll turn the red of your sins into pure white snow. That's what Hashem says, um, says Yeshaya, and continues the Pasuk, Im yadimu ketoila, if they are red and like Toila, Tolas is a, is a worm. It was like a red worm. Like a, I think it's like a Shungaloda. I might be wrong, but I, I think it's that color. In other words, a red worm. Um, then they will be like a wool. That's what Yeshaya says. So the Meshachachma says that, uh, based on Yeshami, that that is the, the first Pasuk that says, if your sins are like Shanim, that's the Bayes Rishon, the first Bayes Amikdash. And the second Pasuk that says that your sons are Katoila, like this red worm, um, that's by Shani. Well, what's the difference? In the Meshachachma explains, Rav Meir Simcha explains. He says that um, Shanim is an exterior thing, was dyed. You had a material, was dyed red, and so the dye is on the outside. So Hashem, if, if our sins are on the outside, like in the first base of Mikdash, 
which they were revealed and exposed, and they were Shvichas Dami Gilo Rais which is bloodshed, um, uh, sexual immorality, and idol worship. So since they were exterior sins, it's like the Shanim, which is a dyed material. So then Hashem can change that into um, like white as snow. In other words, they will return to be pure and pristine because they haven't been contaminated from within. They are all exterior. But if, says Marav Simcha, if our sins are on the interior, they're like a toila. Toila is a red worm, which is the red comes from the inside, not the outside. So then Hashem will purify them, but they katsemer you. Tzemer will, even though you can clean the wool, you can wash the wool, it, always, it doesn't remain, especially in those days, they didn't have the um, the processes to make it pure, bright white. It's, it's still got a a dark color to it. Um, so when, so says that when the sins are of an exterior nature, when they're on the outside, so it's much easier to restore the purity of the soul and to become white once more. But when they on the inside, it's much more difficult. It's, it's much harder to get back to that pristine place of purity and they'll still have, a, there'll still be something there, a little bit of a blemish and, and it's a much more difficult process. So he says, that's what Yeshua is telling us in the Pasuk, that in the Bais Rishon, in the first Bais Amikdash, um, because they were of an exterior nature, so then the, the the end was revealed because it was much easier to change the pathway of the Jewish people to move them away from this bad behavior and to because they they weren't corrupted from the inside. But when the uh, sin is comes from emanates from an inner place, from the inner being of a human being, and the inner workings of a person become um, impure, become corrupted, become contaminated. So then that is much, much more difficult. And therefore, the end is not revealed. Will that ever be corrected? And when it will be corrected is not certain because it's a very, very difficult process. But what was the chet of the Bayesheni, of the second Bayes Amikdash? The sin of the second Bayes Amikdash was what we call sinas chinam. The sin was senseless hatred. People hated each other for no good reason. People did not have tolerance for others. And there wasn't a love of one's fellow, but rather there was machloikas, there was uh, strife, there was division within Klal Yisrael. And there was a hatred, a senseless hatred, a sinas chinam, hatred for one another for no reason. That was the sin of the, of the Bayesheni, and that's much more difficult to correct. So in a moment when we come back, we'll discuss exactly why that is such a serious sin, and why that is more difficult to purify oneself from. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we're discussing why the sin of Sinas Chinam is much more sinister than which was at the times of the Baishen, his second base of Mikdash, as opposed to the very severe cardinal sins of um, sexual immorality, uh, bloodshed, and idol worship. And the answer is because it comes from within. When, when the sin emanates from a deep place within, 
And sinas chinam comes from within the depths of a person. It means that it's indicative that a person doesn't have space for anybody else in their world. Because somebody is just a little bit different, because somebody talks, behaves, um, is in a different social status that's different to that individual, so they have no tolerance for them, they have no space for them, they have no time for them, in fact, they dislike them. That's called sinas chinam. And when we're in that mindset, when that happens to be our attitude and our approach to life, so then it's clearly indicative that there's no space for Hashem either in our world. The altar, the great altar of Kelm, who writes, he's got a famous sefer called Das Chochma Musa, in which he speaks quite extensively, and got a number of mamarim, of essays, about this subject of noise ba'ol im chavero, of being able to empathize with another and to feel the pain of another, and to truly be present for an, another individual in need in a sincere way, so he explains very beautifully the altar. He says that if a human being cannot relate to the situation, to the circumstances, to the challenges that their fellow human being is going through, right? A person has a friend, has an acquaintance, has a family member, and that person is facing whatever it is in their life, whether it's a joy or a simcha, or whether it's a, a difficulty and a challenge, if we don't have the capacity to feel the joy or the pain of another who is there, who's in front of us, who's experiencing those things before our own eyes, if we don't have the ability to do so, so how much more so are we not going to have the ability to relate to Hashem and to see Hashem in the world and to understand and and be cognizant of Hashem's presence and Hashem's need in the world. So says the altar that this midah of sinas china, this quality of senseless hatred indicates that we live in a very selfish world, that we still um, have the mindset that we did when we were kids and when we were teenagers, that we're very self-centered and very narcissistic. So that shows that that's where we are because we can't relate to another, we can't see another, we can't even empathize with another human being that's right in front of us. So then certainly, all the more so, we're not going to be able to relate to Hashem and empathize and be and, and live in a world cognizant of Hashem's presence. So that's why Sinas Chinam is such a serious era. It's so sinister and it's from within. It's the, it's, it represents the inner world of a person and the, incap- the lack of the inability of a person to relate to another and then to relate to Hashem. So that's, by the way, why the Torah commands us to get married. We're supposed to get married. Torah commands us to do so because marriage is the first step in this process. Marriage is, a, in order for marriage to work, we have to be cognizant of the needs physical, spiritual, emotional, of our spouse. And if we remain in that selfish, narcissistic state, so then, and we're just completely self-centered and only see ourselves, we don't break ourselves out of that. We don't force ourselves to go beyond that, which is a very hard process, which is not an easy thing, which takes a lot of work 
a lot of focus and a real sincere uh, movement on the inside, real inner growth of a, of a person. So if we're not able to do that um, with a spouse, so certainly that's the beginning, that's the starting point is to do it with our spouse. And that is a, a, a big growth for a person. And then we can do that with our children and begin to identify and understand and empathize and realize that this human being has a life and has issues and have needs and has, has, um, and has uh, challenges and joys. If we're not able to relate to that sincerely and genuinely, which is the beginning of a relationship, so then we see if a person can't do that with their spouse or with their children, there's a breakdown in, 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 the, in the marriage and in the home. It becomes a dysfunctional home. And usually, you know, the marriages don't last um, if that's the case. And if we are able to do that, if we are able to control our own ego, control our own narcissism, to put a boundary on the me and the I and to allow space for another, so then we have grown tremendously. And then that can, we can develop that muscle. We, can, we started out with our spouse and then we can apply it to our children and apply it to our extended family and to our community and to the whole world. That's how we build ourselves spiritually, to be able to create space for another. And once we've done that successfully, so then we can see Hashem, then we can begin to relate to God and to the fact that there's a creator of the universe and the creator has certain requirements of us and there's certain rules of engagement with that creator and with our relationship with the, with the creator and there's certain um, requirements within our life in order to bring the creator into the world and into our life. That, that's the work that needs to be done and that's what this uh, quality of sinas chinam, um, that's it's an indication. The, 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 the failure of the Bayesheni was that Klai Yisrael, they were full of sinas chinam, which means they had, didn't have space for anybody else. And they certainly didn't have space for Hashem in the world. And that's what the Gemara in Soita says. It says that Hashem says, I can tolerate any midah, any characteristic, but there's one that will not tolerate. In other words, that pushes Hashem away. And that's what we call gaiva, arrogance. When a, when a human being has arrogance, so it pushes Hashem away, and Hashem uh, will not be present and around such an individual. And that's what happened. That's why the Beisheni, the, 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 the Yerushalmi, based on the Pasuk, says that it was katoila. It was like this red, it's this red dye that comes from the inside, and the inside is... Um, it, once it comes from the inside, it's very, very difficult to to change and to purify. And that's why the law is galavonim, not is galam kitsam. We don't know where the end of that galas will be, but that's our work. That's what we're left with, and that's our work that we have to do today. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing our work now in the three weeks, and one of the main focuses of the Jew at this time is what were the root causes of the 
um, destruction of the temples of the Bias Rishon or the Bias Senior, first temple, second temple. And we said the first temple was destroyed because of the three cardinal sins, which is um, sexual immorality, bloodshed, and idol worship. And of course, those are things that we should be thinking about and working on. And the second base on Mikdash was destroyed because of sinaschinam, because of senseless hatred. And senseless hatred is indicative of a person not maturing spiritually, person continuing to be in that selfish, narcissistic mindset that is a part of all of us. That is, that's how we are when we are babies, and that's how we are when we are teenagers. And the mature person graduates from that and develops into a refined human being who is able to control themselves, their self-control in terms of their life, in terms of their world, in terms of their needs. And firstly, they have space for another, which ideally would be their spouse. And that's why we get married, to build ourselves spiritually and have the capacity to live with another and to be present for and take care of the needs of the other. And when we focused on that, the Jewish formula for a successful marriage is not what my rights are, not what they have to do for me, what my spouse should be doing for me. The focus within a holy Jewish marriage is what am I supposed to be doing for my spouse? Never mind what they're doing for me. I need to play my part. I need to fulfill my responsibilities over here. And primarily that is to create a space in your world for that individual, to be able to empathize with, to be able to support, to be able to love unconditionally that person. When we successfully do that, which is not easy, it requires work, it's not an easy thing. But when we do that work, so the other will see, wow, this is incredible. Look how, look how selfless and how unconditional the love of my spouse is for me. And 100% will be reciprocated and it will be returned. But when we are, have a selfish, selfish attitude, and I mean, when we still are immature, when we still are completely self-centered and egotistic and narcissistic, so then the spouse says, you know, this person doesn't care about me. This person doesn't see me. This person is not cognizant of my existence. So why should I make the effort for them? Why should I continue to work at this and, uh, you know, do all that I do for this relationship? And that's when things begin to get resentful and begin to spiral and uh, the rift in the relationship, the cracks begin. So the ideal relationship is one where there's a mutual love and respect and uh, and uh, empathy for each other. Once we do that, we can do that with the children. Once we do it with the children, we can then move on to the rest. I mean, some people get this all wrong, and they do it with the community, and they don't do it with their spouse and their children, which is the wrong way around. Those are the wrong priorities. We need to start at home. As the Gemara says, charity begins at home. We begin at home, and then we move out to our broader, our extended family, to our community, and to the entire world. There's another one final point I'd like to make, um, which is important that we should be working on at this time as well, and to realize that, so we're saying that the destruction of the base of came from the lack of inner work of Klai Israel, that they were selfish and self-centered, and they had sinas chinam, which was a simon, a sign of their lack of their ability to see another, and then, of course, of the lack of the ability to see Hashem. So once we're able to do it with our fellow human being, says the Alt of Kelm, we can then do that with Hashem, see Hashem in the world, and live in a world that is in sync and cognizant of Hashem's needs. 
And the last point is that it's very, very difficult. It's a point that Rabbi Elephant makes. And most of what I've shared with you today comes from Rabbi Yosef Elephant, um, the great rabbi from the Mir Yeshiva. And he makes the one final point, which I think is very profound. And he says that the problem with our world today is we live in a very superficial world. And we live in a world where we emphasize and where we appreciate external achievements and internal achievements are brushed aside, are ignored, and are not acknowledged. So, for example, we live in a material world, a person who's done well in their business or done well in their career, they've got a beautiful home, they've got a beautiful car, that's respected, we look up to that. You know, even in the religious world, the, our external achievements are very much respected. A person gets a lot of tzedakah, a person finishes a lot of masechtas, that's something that we look up to. But when it comes to the inner work, a person who's kind, a person who's compassionate, a person who has creates space for another in the world, a person who's able to help others. So we often ignore that and brush that aside and don't give it the importance and the, and the uh, respect that it deserves. But when we do work on our inner selves and when we do hold ourselves back in whatever way we can, in, in, uh, and with regards to any aspect of our being and our personality and our behavior, when we have self-control, when we uh, create boundaries within ourselves and there's space for others and there's space for Hashem, so in proportion to how much we do that, so that's our growth spiritually. And although others don't see that and others may not recognize that, Hashem sees it and Hashem appreciates it and that is the beginning of our growth as a human being, of our spiritual growth in this world. And therefore, um, we certainly should be emphasizing that. And by doing so, we successfully build the base Amigdash. And in Mir Hashem, Klai Yisrael should do the work we're supposed to. And please God, we should see the building of Bay Shlishi, or the coming of Mashiach, Bimhera Amen. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.